Now at the Home Depot, save up to 35% off appliance special buys. Like the Samsung stainless steel side-by-side refrigerator, just $9.98. You save $300. It's big enough to hold 25 bags of groceries. Unload those, and if that makes you thirsty, you'll really love the external ice maker and water dispenser. Today is the day for doing. Spring Black Friday savings now at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. U.S. only while supplies last. See store for details valid through April 17th. Welcome to Creating a Family, Talk About Infertility. Today we're going to be talking about how old is too old to be pregnant. But first I want to read you an email we received. It goes, your podcast has been my saving grace, a source of fantastic and helpful information and a daily therapy session. So thank you, thank you, thank you for dedicating your time and energy to women struggling with infertility who so appreciate your research. And that is from Joanna. We are fortunate to receive wonderful emails um, from our people who have been touched by and have been helped by our resources. Uh, we appreciate the uh, we appreciate the sentiments. We appreciate the emails coming in, but we exist because people are willing to donate. We are a nonprofit. Um, that's how we exist. We exist because people like Joanna and others, and like you are willing to donate. So please go to our website. If you're a listener to this show, if you've gotten anything out of our show or out of our resources, please consider making a donation of any amount. Uh, We're asking for $3 a month. We're asking for you to do a recurring payment of $3 a month, and that is it. Uh, So go to our website, creatingafamily.org, and click on the top right side, uh, the Donate button, and it will take you right to the page where you can do that. I'm Dawn Davenport. This show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical, and they have an app they want you to know about, and this one is for men. It's called Fertistrong. It is a new, well, it's not so new now, it came out uh, in June of this year, self-help fertility support mobile app, they call it. It's an app by any other name, and it is uh, provides techniques to empower men with the knowledge and self-help skills throughout both their journey of infertility, but it's not just for uh, men who are infertile. It's also for men who are part of an infertile couple. So go to the app. It's called Fertistrong, and they you can get it at fertistrong.com. In addition to our underwriters, we also have partners who believe in what we do. One such partner is Shraf 2.0. They are a specialty fertility pharmacy that believes pharmacy care can and should be remarkable. All their employees, from pharmacists to shipping coordinators, understand the stress of fertility treatment and are trained to treat customers with dignity, empathy, and respect. And I, I met with Adam, who is their CEO and their founder, and he truly believes that. He, uh, he, he walks the talk, so check him out, Shraths 2.0. We also have Fairfax, Fairfax Cryobank. They have been a leader in sperm donation for 30 years. What sets them apart is their pregnancy pledge of a free vial if you do not become pregnant. Their face match tool that lets you upload a photo you would like the donor to resemble and a client service team that is experienced and truly cares about your needs. More information and guidelines can be found on their website. We're going to be talking today about how old 
is too old to be pregnant. Now, we, we've done shows uh, and, and, uh, to talk about how old is too old to be a mom, and we kind of focus more on those, on the experience of motherhood or parenthood, actually. But this, one, we, this time we really want to talk about the experience of being pregnant. Is there, a, is there an age where you should not be pregnant? We're going to be our our uh, guest lineup today is is really interesting. We're going to be talking with Dr. Jeff Ecker. He is a high risk obstetrician at the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston and an associate professor at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Julianne Zweifeld. She is a psychologist and professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine. And Dr. Dr. Linda Applegarth. She is a director of psychological services at the Center for Reproductive Medicine and Infertility. Um, I, we are on sabbatical this month, and so we are bringing you back shows that uh, have been particularly popular, um, or we feel like they're particularly relevant. In this case, it's both, both very popular and very relevant. Uh, we, the news is full of, of 40s and 50s and even 60-year-old women who are becoming pregnant. So what are the real issues associated with that? Is it safe? Is it safe for the body? Is it safe for the woman? Is it safe for the baby? Um, check it out. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Doctors Applegar, Swifel, and Eckert, to Creating a Family. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, we're going to cover a lot of territory on this show, and we're going to we'll talk about the issues that people should consider when deciding whether to become a parent after forty, forty-five, fifty, and on up. And it's possible to conceive most often with donor egg or embryo, and to adopt at these ages. At these ages, so we're going to talk about both. But first, I want to start with a discussion of the medical risks for women over 40 carrying a pregnancy to term and giving birth. Dr. Ecker, are there additional risks for women in their 40s and 50s for being pregnant? Um, there are. I think to begin to distinguish what those risks might be, there are a couple of categories of pregnancy that uh, we need to place women in. One important thing is to decide uh, what uh, antecedent medical conditions exist. So as women get older, the chances of them having an underlying health condition, I'm thinking of things like hypertension or diabetes, increases. So one category is does someone have a health condition that might affect a pregnancy? A second important thing to use to distinguish outcomes of pregnancies at 40s, 50s, and beyond is whether or not individuals are conceiving with their own egg. As women get older and conceive with their own egg, the chances of genetic complications, I'm thinking here specifically about chromosomal complications, mm -hmm. the most common such being Down syndrome, increase. As women get beyond 45 and 50, almost certainly pregnancies that are achieved with the assistance of uh, egg donation. And in that case, risk of things like chromosomal complications will track with the, egg, the age of the egg donor. And then the last distinction I think that's important is whether or not an individual is or is likely to become pregnant with one or multiple gestations. Because as you and many listening know, multiple gestations carry their own risks for things like prematurity. So in thinking about risks that come along with being older, it's important first to understand what kind of pregnancy we're talking about. Okay, that's a good question. And we, get, we, have a, we received an email question from Lisa. She said, I know the chances of conceiving naturally 
or with IVF go down tremendously as a woman ages into her 40s to below 13% using her own eggs. How do the chances change if she uses a donor egg or donor embryo in the process? So let's start by talking about um, the, the, the odds of conception uh, using your own eggs and when that pretty well peters out to where it's not even an option. Um, and, and then what are the odds if you use donor egg or donor embryo? So to be clear, I mean, my practice, what I do is I, I'm a high-risk obstetrician, so I'm not expert at the numbers of getting pregnant and things like assisted reproductive technologies. That said... That's fair. Yeah, that's a fair... Uh, go ahead. Right. But beyond 40, numbers start to fall, and it is very unusual, not impossible, but very unusual beyond 45 to become pregnant with one's own egg. Um the literature, case reports, series suggest that um, using donor eggs and donor embryos from created from uh, the eggs of women who are younger, um, pregnancies can be achieved in, as you said in the introduction, 45 to 50, 50s, even 60s. I'm not you know, able to say it's this percent, it's that percent. And, and part of the, the information here is going to be a little limited because particularly as you advance beyond 50 and towards 60, the numbers become quite small. And so it becomes difficult to say precisely, aha, it's exactly this percent chance if you use an egg from someone who's of this age. Well, a valid point. There are not. In fact, one of the questions I, I have, and, and uh, Dr. Applegarth or Dweifel, you might be able to answer for your practices. How how popular is the, the notion of parenthood past? How many women are, are seeking uh, treatment, uh, say, when they are past the age of 45? Do either of you happen to know? Uh, well, uh, this is Dr. Applegarth. I, I can't say that there are high, high numbers over 45, but we certainly have a steady influx of women who are mid-40s who are certainly seeking um, to become pregnant. Often they will certainly try to become pregnant using their own eggs. Many of them, you know, quite honestly, will will turn to egg donation. I think um, the, very, the, the huge, vast majority, if not, and I'm talking very vast majority, of women over uh, 45 and over. Oh, absolutely. Are, are I mean, it, it's, it, it, it goes without saying that. Yeah. The, the, the even vast majority over 42, really. Uh, well, the, the and certainly over 43, I would say, without a doubt. Yeah, okay. So it's very it's very common then. Um, Dr. Eckert, do the medical risk change if the pregnancy is achieved with donor egg, which, of course, as we just said, the majority of women um, over the age of 45, certainly, and probably over the age of, well, not probably, but over the age of 42 or 43. I guess what I'm asking is there are are there additional risks from donor egg pregnancies, do we see risks that are associated anything different if a, if a pregnancy is achieved through donor egg versus a pregnancy is achieved using a woman's own eggs? So, um, separate from the risks that go along with IVF, risk of multiple gestations, um, and separate from the risks that go along with women being older, and we can talk about those separately in a moment, okay. I'm unaware of important risks that go along with donor egg specifically. So if you said, I have a 35-year-old, a 40-year-old, they got pregnant with their own egg, they got pregnant with donor egg, going through IVF, 
at least I'm unaware of differences in outcomes uh, judged either from the frame of their health or a pregnancy's health uh, that track with donor do, uh, egg donation specifically. Okay, I had heard something once about preeclampsia being more common with donor egg pregnancies. Is that? Uh, but you've not heard of that. Um, I think it's 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 an area of ongoing research. Um, some of the some of it research that's been done at our place here. Uh, suffice it to say, um, I think it's undecided, and uh, at least in our study, we didn't find a, a marked increase in, in risk of preeclampsia. One of the things I would like to jump in again, this is Dr. Applegarth, um, is not to leave men out of this equation. Older men. Um, because often women will be using donated eggs, but they will be using partner or husband sperm. Good point. And, and I don't think we should leave that out in terms of looking at our data and considering certain risks with older parents. There's certainly we, we have, are learning that there's a greater risk of the autism spectrum disorder that may be um, paternally related a higher risk of psychiatric disorders, particularly schizophrenia. Again, there has been now correlations between older men uh, and probably related to mutations in the sperm. And again, I'm I'm dipping into a medical area, and I'm I don't want to I, I I don't want to sound like I know this, but I have reviewed the literature, and it it sounds that there are certain risks involved that that are are male factor related, not just related to older women. That's a very good point. And your the the typical thing that we see is for a couple in their forties or fifties or whatever um, that they may use donor egg, but they almost always at least start with trying to use the uh, husband's sperm. So you're right. exactly right that the from a chromosomal standpoint, the um, the chromo the the, uh, the egg is is uh, is, a, is from a younger woman, but the sperm is not. So it's a very good point. That's correct. It's a good point. The things, though, that you're talking about are not chromosomal problems. So it's important to recognize that while risk for things like uh, chromosomal abnormalities and extra chromosome, and again, the most common condition would be Down syndrome, uh, increase with the, uh, a woman's age. They do not increase with uh, the age of a male partner. Um, and so where people have identified associations, the thought is that those associations are related with abnormalities, mutations in single genes. Um, and studies are a little split about exactly the degree of that association, and some studies find it for this condition, another study finds it for another condition. So, again, an area of ongoing uh, investigation where our understanding is still not perfect. Uh, well, Dr. Eckert, if uh, you talked about if a woman has underlying conditions going into the pregnancy, hypertension, diabetes, something associated with that, which do increase with age, so it would be more likely that that if you took a general population of people trying to get pregnant, those you know past the age of 45 would have would this would be more common. But assuming that a woman does not have diabetes, does not have hypertension, has great cholesterol, and and is you know what we hear a lot of people say is I've worked out every day of my life. I'm in better shape now than I was in my 20s, and, and we we hear that a lot. Um, is there any for that woman? Um, and assuming that she's using donor egg or for, gets lucky and is able to conceive with her own egg, is there any increased risk 
for the pregnancy, and then I will ask if there's any increased risk to the child born of that pregnancy. So um, there are about four or five things that increase even among healthy women using uh, donor egg, and let's, for the purposes of this discussion, assume a single pregnancy. So take multiple gestations yeah. Thank off you, the we're table. Thank you. separate that out. Um, and um, those things include a higher risk of high blood pressure complicating pregnancy, conditions uh, such as preeclampsia, another name for that is toxemia, and we can talk in a moment about why some of these things may be important, a higher risk of blood sugar high blood sugars complicated pregnancy, complicating pregnancy, gestational diabetes would be the term uh, for that. Older women, for reasons that are not always clear, uh, seem to be at higher risk for needing or undergoing cesarean delivery. And studies have also been uh, pretty consistent in identifying a higher risk of uh, outcomes such as stillbirth. Now, it's important to emphasize with that last outcome that higher is not the same as high, and most women who are older and, and have a pregnancy will not uh, have a stillbirth, but compared to a population of younger women, the risk does seem to be higher. So that's four things there, and in addition to those four, uh, some but not all studies have suggested that there's an increased risk of having a low birth weight baby uh, as women uh, get older. So uh, those are the five things that, that immediately come to mind for me. Well, Dr. Eckert, this is, this is Dr. Zweifel asking a question. Is there also an association with uh, higher risk of prematurity for the older uh, gestating mom? I think, um, and then you may know more than I, but I think as I hear and look and, and look at studies, I think that the risk of prematurity is mostly related to those things and multiple gestations. So certainly developing preeclampsia, high blood mm -hmm. pressure, dysfunction in some cases of the kidneys and liver can lead doctors to recommend early delivery. Sure. Um, so so medical complications can drive a lot of that. Um, I, I, and I certainly don't know everything, but um, I don't think of age being a big driver behind risks for spontaneous preterm labor, for example. You know, of the things you you mentioned, if uh, if the obstetrician and let's say the woman is going to is is being seen by a high risk obstetrician due to her age, um, and and you know the obstetrician is anticipating that these problems might develop, can any of the or can we usually compensate for these uh, potential problems if we know about their existence in advance, so we can be testing for them early. Uh, in other words, it, does it necessarily affect outcome if you go in knowing that, that these are possibilities and can you uh, address them before they become a problem? So the answer to uh, the most important risk, that for preeclampsia, is no. That folks can recognize there's an increased risk. Uh, they can be very mindful of its occurrence, but we really don't have a good way of either preventing preeclampsia or once pregnant, preventing it from progressing in a way that delivery becomes uh, necessary. Um, and um, studies that have looked at women older than uh, 45 or 50, some of those studies suggest the risk for preeclampsia may be 25% or higher. Um, and so there is not a way for that problem of um, preventing it. 
Things like high blood sugar, gestational diabetes, yes, that can generally be detected and treated uh, with medications. Certainly to minimize the risk of uh, stillbirth, obstetricians, midwives, obstetric providers can look and uh, use uh, various forms of testing, antenatal testing to be sure babies are moving well, their heart rate looks normal, the fluid around them looks normal. If there are concerns about a possible risk for uh, small babies and uh, decreased growth, that can be screened for using ultrasound, not necessarily treated, but at least screened for, recognized, and then managed in ways that uh, optimize that, the health in pregnancies that do have growth-restricted uh, babies. So now let's talk about the risks of, of multiple birth. Uh, anyone who has listened to the show knows that this is a, something of a recurring theme. One of our missions is to... Uh, help reduce, uh, help spread the word, uh, and uh, help encourage people to reduce the um, multiple births as a result of fertility treatment. I'm not saying that we're there, but I am saying that we certainly have been trying for a number of years. Uh, in fact, since this show is inception, almost five uh, over five years ago, to uh, reduce uh, to, to spread the word about the dangers. So we know that, that multiple pregnancy is, is, is not the desired outcome for fertility treatment, regardless of the age of the woman. Um, however, are there for a woman who is over the age of 43, over the age of 45, whatever number we pick, are there even greater risks associated with multiple pregnancy, or does that woman run about the same risks as, as a 35-year-old who is carrying twins? So separate from the risk of preterm labor and delivery and that, um, I, perhaps incorrectly, but I generally don't think of that changing with age. So you have twins and you're 35, you're 40, you're 45. I think in many ways the risk of spontaneous preterm labor and delivery is similar. But multiple gestations also carry risks for some of the things that we've already talked about. Preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, needing cesarean delivery. So those risks would add on to the risks that age itself brought uh, and increase the chances that a pregnancy would be complicated by preeclampsia, for example. We have a question from Renee. She said, do the panelists think that women over the age of 45 should be mandated to single embryo transfer if they do attempt a pregnancy? This is kind of getting us into a you know the ethical um, uh, realm, but I'd like to hear your your thoughts on that, all of you, Dr. Swifel, uh, starting with you, and then uh, Dr. Applegarth, you, and then Dr. Ecker, all of you. Um, do, are, are you in favor of, of of requiring that women over the age of 45 have only single embryo transfer due to the increased risks associated with carrying multiples, being an older woman? And I can I just clarify the question? Or I'm assuming that the, this is a 45-year-old woman using egg donor versus her own eggs? Yeah. Well, it, would it matter? I guess you could say that, but quite well, frankly, it, the reality it would matter. Is, it would matter a great deal because somebody who's who's 45 using her own eggs has a, has a much uh, diminished chance of success. So a single embryo transfer with somebody like that is um, not too likely to work out well. So... Okay, no. then let's do say donor egg because you're right. Uh, but the majority, if you know, there's right, almost right, right. no one in 45 who's who's uh, going to have enough embryos to even have it be an issue, probably. So go ahead. Wow. Well, I I really need to leave the the medical sequelae to Dr. Eckert because that's that's his that's his um that's his area of expertise. Mine is is the psychology side. 
And I think, um, boy, it it could be argued yes, because I I know that um, the risks of developing depression following the birth of uh, twins is definitely higher than the risk of developing depression um, and bringing home a singleton. So, so yeah, she's going to be at increased risk for depression, and once she experiences depression, her partner um, is at increased risk as well. I I also know that if she's been um, if she's had prior hearing, uh, uh, history of depression in the past, she's going to be at increased risk too. So you you could argue that her um, postpartum adjustment is going to be um, definitely more complicated if she brings home twins. So that's that's something to consider. Mandate I I I don't know that I would want to go so far as to mandate a single embryo transfer for somebody in who's 45. Okay, uh, Dr. Applegarth, any thoughts on this? Well, yes, I, I would agree with Julianne. I don't think that we live in a country that, in a, in, as a rule, does not mandate decisions that, that are considered, you know, personal medical types of decisions. Um, in Europe, single embryo transfers are, are, are mandated. They're mandated by the government health services. Um, here we don't. I don't believe medicine is practiced quite that way. And when I have a 45-year-old or a 46-year-old sitting in my office and we discuss single embryo transfer versus two embryo, a double embryo transfer, um, they will always opt for a double embryo transfer. I mean, I think because there's a great deal of fear that the single embryo transfer will not work or that will not be as successful as a double embryo transfer. The idea, in other words, that if we put two embryos back, there's a greater likelihood, statistically, that one of them will work. Um, So there's that factor that comes into our discussions. And then, of course, we, I think, as mental health professionals, as psychologists, are looking at couples who are, are... eager if not desperate to have children and they want to they don't want to get any older so they will really want to have twins because they feel that that way their family will be complete so you're you're looking at sort of this in this social and and psychological pressure that they feel to complete their families as soon as possible we see that exact uh I, I I hear the exact thing you are you're discussing, and and one of the things that I also hear uh, from older moms, uh, older couples, is that because of their age, they think it's particularly important that their child have a sibling, so that uh, and we'll talk about in just a moment. We'll move into some of the issues associated with older parents and and fairness to kids and things like that. But so for those reasons that they puts they wanted to put pressure, but I. You know, I think that there are, I think as as the science develops for selecting embryos and we are better able to identify embryos that are more likely to implant once transferred, that we will start seeing uh, uh, greater poss- uh, greater success rates. Or in, and there are, there are some practices now that claim that their success rate with single embryo is approaching the success rate with uh, with double. Um, where, where you're transferring to. Right. And, I, and if that, I please. can inter- can I yeah. interrupt for a moment? Sorry, please. Don. This is Dr. Applegarth again. I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying, and I think it's absolutely right. 
But what I still continue to see is that even though couples are are told about the risks of having twins, particularly at advanced maternal ages, it 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 goes by you know mm-hmm. it goes in one ear and right out the other. I, I mean, I think exactly I think right. you're so right, but um, I'm not sure the patients are hearing that. You know, it, you're right, and and the truth is, we have been you know, preaching on this for a long time. In fact, we won the Infertility International Media Award on a show we did on uh, the risks of multiple births and, uh, and, and, and ways to prevent it through and when going through fertility treatment. And yet I, I, I don't disagree with you at all as to the fact that we're, we're not having huge success. Well, the, so not, we're not having the kind of impact we'd like to have. No, we're not. You know, I do feel like I'm saying it a lot, but I don't think that people are listening. <laughs> Let me, and, and then I want to move our discussion now a little away from the medical. Let me give a very brief overview because you can certainly become a parent through adoption in your 40s and 50s. So I want to go over very the basics quickly. For domestic private adoption, you can almost most of those now are chosen adoptive parents are chosen by a birth mother or birth parents. And the reality is that older parents are less often chosen. Although the truth is there is no way to predict what a woman or a couple will look for in choosing adoptive parents for their child. So although it's fair to say that that we we don't know I can say that if you if you step back and look at odds, which is the only way of really talking about this, and the odds are less, which means that uh, for older parents, they either need to broaden what they are uh, uh, the risk factors they are willing to accept or be willing to wait longer. With international adoption, there are countries with age limits, but there are also countries where there are either no age limit or the limit is in the 50s. So it is possible to adopt internationally in your late 40s and 50s. And to get more information about uh, the countries and what their age limits are, you can go to our website, creatingafamily.org. You can hover over the word adoption on the blue horizontal menu. There will be a drop-down menu and click on country charts, and we uh, include the age limits uh, for the major placing countries to the United States. It is also possible for older parents to adopt from U.S. foster care. In fact, depending on the age of the child and the needs of that particular child, older parents especially those with some parenting experience, are often sought out as the best parents for those children. But quite frankly, often in these cases, the child is older than six. So, in fact, the parent is not a particularly old for that child. You know. So now I'd like to move our discussion forward. But first, let me remind you, you are listening to Creating a Family, talk about infertility and adoption, and today we're talking about how old is too old to become a parent. Our guests are Dr. Jeff Ecker. He is a high-risk obstetrician at the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston and associate professor at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Julianne Zweifel, she is a psychologist and professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health, and Dr. Linda Applegarth. She is a director of psychological services at the Center for Reproductive Medicine and Infertility and a professor professor of psychology at the uh, New York Presbyterian Hospital. Okay. What are some, and this is a very general question, I realize, but I want to just jump into it. What are some of the things people considering uh, should consider beyond, of course, the medical risk, which we just talked about this. Uh, when they're, they're thinking, okay, we're, I'm, I'm 44, my husband is 44, uh, we really would like to be parents, uh, and, and we want to go forward uh, with whatever way that we, we were to choose. What are the things, uh, Dr. Swifel, that you would suggest that that people should think about before they just 
make that first appointment with the infertility clinic or the adoption agency? I would encourage them to think about um, the kind of parenting experience that they are envisioning for themselves and the kind of experience that they are envisioning for their child and ask themselves whether, you know, once once you're getting up in years, um, whether that's going to be impacted at all. Some could argue it might be impacted in a positive way, but I think some could also argue that there are some concerns to think about. So that's, broadly speaking, that's what I would be asking them to think about is, you know, don't just look at how you are doing and feeling at, 45, 50, 55, you might feel fantastic, but really you've got to think long-term about, you know, where your health and energy is going to go, what your sort of, um, uh, where you are maturity-wise, um, and how you're interacting just with society in general at those different ages and how that's going to impact the child and work really, really hard to see it from the eyes of a child, what it would be like to be parented by somebody who um, is 45, 50, 55 when that child is born. Well, you mentioned one thing, and, and I think it would help to start on a positive note, and you mentioned that there are perhaps some positive um things to think about with having older parents, something that older parents would bring to the table. Uh, Dr. Applegarth, what do you see as some of the positives about, uh, for, for, a, for from the child's perspective and the parent's perspective? Of being old? Well, I certainly think that among the positive issues is that there often is a lot of, their couples are often more mature, they're more established in their marital relationships, they're certainly farther along in their careers and not feeling that um, they're so committed to their careers that there's little or no time to parent children. So I think there are many pluses in that respect that, again, a child is going to be born hopefully into a family um, in which there's more financial security, more overall maturity, a more stable um, marital situation, and a more stable career situation. And those are all pluses for a child. I heard an interview with Scott Simon uh, from uh, NPR Weekend Weekend Edition, uh, who uh, he uh, adopted his first child uh, when he was 50 and his second one when I guess he was 54 or something. Uh, he's written a, a wonderful book, uh, Baby, We Were Meant for Each Other. Uh, anyway, uh, and, and in that he was asked, is there a disadvantage, and he was disadvantaged with being an older parent. He was saying, well, at least at this point, and I think his oldest was, you know, what, I think seven at the time, so he was 57 or his oldest may have been nine. And he was saying, no, I, you know, if anything, I only see the positive other than the fact that, you know, I worry that I won't be here for uh, for the duration, you know. But, you know, from his perspective, and I've, I've certainly talked to a lot of older parents who say everything that you've just said, that uh, it's uh, that there are uh, they're more mature, they're more settled, they're more able to devote exclusively because their careers are set uh, exclusively on the child itself. Uh, here's a question we got from Lynette. She said, I find this topic very interesting, although not something that I would personally consider. My husband and I decided that if, if we couldn't have a child by our early 40s, that we would accept living child-free. Fortunately, we were able to do so when I was 41 and he was 42, and we decided to not try for a second. I think the basic issue is fairness to the child and would like to hear your esteemed guest discuss this. So, esteemed guest, let's move on to the uh, – let's talk about the issue of fairness. 
because I think that, uh, uh, Dr. Swifel, I think that was what you were trying to get, is to think past just how, two things, how you feel right now at 46, but to how you're going to feel at 56 and 66 when you uh, uh, are, are 58 and 59 when you are parenting a teen, and, and also how your child will feel when your child is uh, 16 or 20 or whatever and, and has a parent in their you know, mid to late 60s or, or very late 60s. Um, so let's talk about the fairness to the child issue. Uh, uh, Dr. Swifel, I'll start with you. And Dr. Eckert, I don't want to exclude you, even though you are the obstetrician and you're dealing with them when they're um, brand spanking new. You probably have given some thought also to the idea of of what the what is fair to these children as they as they age. So no, we'll I, start with I, you, Dr. Swifel. Okay. And then Dr. Ecker, you jump. Yeah, in. I'll have some an interesting perspective, perhaps. Okay. So, so, th- so this is Dr. Zoifel speaking, and and uh, Linda, Dr. Linda Applegarth, and I have have spoken on this together, um, and I know she's got a lot of great things to say. I will start um, by just talking from a from a data perspective. There's a lot of experiential issues to to talk about, but from a data perspective. Um, it's interesting you you mentioned the fellow who wrote the book about adopting a child um and he said that you know the only downside i see is you know maybe not being here i i i think that's a really substantial downside i that's that's not like a throwaway sentence i think that's that's enormous um when when you if you're a male and you have a child when you're 50 or adopt that child assuming that they're a newborn there's a nearly 15% chance that you will die by the time that child turns 15. And there's a 22% chance that you'll die by the time that child turns 20. That is a big deal. It, to me, that's a very big deal. I I think children have the right to have healthy, vibrant parents um, in a minimum to their early adulthood. You know, when, when you think about people, I, I see folks who – come in to see me clinically and they have an ailing parent or their parent eventually dies and you know they might be in their 30s or 40s and they're just crushed and they will say to me in their 30s and 40s I'm not done having my mom I'm not done having my dad I really I really still need them around and when they're gone they'll talk about how much they miss them and what an influence they've been and that's people who have have the joy of being parented um by by those folks into their 30s and 40s I think that we need to be really um, really honest about the fact that we need to be parented for a good stretch of time, and being parented till we're 15 is, is not optimal. I mean, I know it happens. I know people die every day unexpectedly, but I think we should be setting in motion a plan where we can assume that kids are going to have uh, at least one healthy and vibrant parent. And by vibrant, I mean not like not in such poor health that they can't be an active member of their child's life, you know, until they're at least in their mid-20s. And as I say, people who see me, you know, her losing parents in their 30s and 40s don't feel like they're they're getting ripped off. So I, I'm very concerned about cutting short the number of years that a parent is involved in a child's life. Dr. Eckert, do you want to uh, jump in here? I do. I, I want to put on... Um, my reproductive ethicist had. I spent some time puzzling through those matters and writing about those issues. 
And in thinking about this and many questions in terms of reproduction and who should be parents or not um, and what's right or just for a child, it's important to recognize what the choice is. So the choice is a child or not, it's not a child of a younger parent, right? Because the folks anticipating or thinking about pregnancy are already older or have other conditions. Um, and um, it's a curious, I don't have the answer, but it's a curious um, uh, question. Is it fairer to a child, I guess in some sense, not to be born than to be a child of older parents? And and the, the question is by no means only limited when older women, older men are considering becoming parents. Um, there are lots of individuals who have health conditions that they recognize will limit their their life and health. And the same question should be could be asked about whether or not it's fair, I guess, is this, that's the word you used, for those folks to plan on becoming parents. I don't have the answer here. All I would highlight is, is what you've already heard is that knowing that you're older and planning a pregnancy offers an opportunity to also plan what resources, what supports, what accommodations you'll make, recognizing that it's likely you won't live as long as someone who's parenting starting out at 20 or 30. So, like you know, ethicists I, do, I, lots of questions and no answers. Well, and that's fair. I, I think most ethical discussions, that's, you know, that is a... Unfortunately, we live in a country that that those are ethical discussions are ones that we can have and make decisions based on it. But I've heard that argument before that how can you talk fairness when the alternative to this particular the existence of this child is dependent upon the older parent having because it, it, having them, so that's their either they so so we're looking at either non-existence or existence with an older parent. Those are the two alternatives. There's something that troubles me about that argument, the, the circular nature of that argument, because and also the, the incredible slippery slope that that argument present, presents, because if you take that, then by golly, why would you ever not, why wouldn't you uh, transfer as many embryos as possible? Because the odds of, of conception certainly go up, and, and if the goal is simply to exist, then there would be no limits whatsoever. Um, Dr. Applegar, jump in on this one. Well, <laughs> that one's a bit of a tough one to jump in on in ter- from an ethical standpoint. But I, I guess, I, I guess when I, I work with these couples and singles, I, I don't want to, I don't want to minimize the fact that we have a lot of single, particularly single women coming in, who have. To also to deal with the fact that they are going to be single parents, and so there will not be co-parenting involved um, also as they are getting older. But I, I think we need to look at this as realistically as possible. Basically, older parenting, older parenthood, I think is here to stay. I don't know that anybody's going to come in and, you know, there's going to be some law that sweeps the country saying, okay, if you're over 45, you can't be a parent. That's not going to happen. And it certainly is not going to happen in reproductive medicine given all the kinds of parenting options we now have, including adoption. So I want to kind of roll back to Dr. Eckert's statement about 
we now need to really prepare these people in ways that we haven't done, at least I, I can only speak personally, that I, up until recently, I feel I too have been somewhat remiss in looking long-term at what it means to be an older parent and what it not only means to the older parent, because I think they look at this, again, through a single lens in terms of how wonderful it will be to finally be a parent and will be good parents, and I don't dispute that, but what? The, but looking at it through the lens of the child and how, for example, what we do know, and we don't have a lot of data, is that one of the things that children fear the most when they have older parents is that that parent is going to die. Um, and whether that's always a realistic fear or not, it, it is. It exists. So I really think now it's up to me and to other mental health professionals and physicians to help potential older parents start developing skills for talking with their children, for planning ahead, both in terms of guardianship, legal and financial security. What we don't want to see is, you know, a 10-year-old who is caring for a disabled parent. And there's not a res- there are not resources or support systems in place for that child. I think those are the kinds of things that we now need to pay attention to. Well, I did want to raise the issue that uh, when Dr. Zweifel was talking about that it, it, it was, I like her comment, it's not a throwaway statement that says, well, you know, the one thing I worry about is not being here. I, I think that's a very good point. The, 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 another thing to consider is the fact that as, uh, as pe- people age, uh, we know that the uh, likelihood increases for chronic type conditions and, and their need for care. So one of the other things that I would suppose would be a uh, a, a, a children of older parents are at greater risk for having to care for their elderly parents at a much younger age. I mean, we all anticipate that at some point we hope our parents are alive and that we are able uh, that we are able to care for them. But that's one thing to say that you're committed to doing that when you're 45 uh, and your parent is in their 80s. But it's a whole other thing when you're getting ready to embark upon your own career and in your early to mid 20s. And you are um, needing to consider care for an older parent, um, Doctor Swifel. I wasn't trying to put words in your mouth, but would that be another one of your concerns as well? It it, it would be, and I want to answer that in a second. But I really want to respond to some things that Doctor Eckert brought up, if it's okay. Sure, no, so, absolutely. So, um, Doctor Eckert, the argument of is it unfair to be born? Um, I, I sit on the ethics committee here at UW Hospital, and and I hear that kind of argument, but. In, in all fairness, everybody, well, most people decide when, they're, when they don't want to have children. So I'm lucky enough to have a couple of kids, and I've um, decided not to have any additional ones, and nobody's barking about the unfairness to all those additional children I'm not having. So I, I, I think, you know, once a child is here, we need to talk about what's good for them. But I, I'm not particularly worried about what's unfair to a child that, um, has not yet been conceived. And you had a couple other couple oh, points. But I, I agree, but the, the argument that's being made is not that it's unfair to a child that hasn't been conceived, but that it's unfair to a child that is conceived. Okay. Well, so no, I, I mean, I agree with you. I, 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 don't get me wrong. I, I, don't, okay. I don't think I, it's appropriate I or useful to talk about children that don't exist. But I, I think the question is, is unfair to children that exist? I think it's very difficult to, to talk about unfairness to 
an unconceived pregnancy. That's yeah, about I, think, I think when somebody's here, you can ask them, you know, would you rather have not been born? But I think that is psychologically an, an extremely difficult question to, to answer. And I do think that some people have done some research, and, and we've seen some, some quotes from folks who are parented by older parents who say, I really do wish my parents had had me at a younger age. It has really been a burden. And let me cycle back to what you've asked, Dawn. Um, when you are in your early 20s and you are faced with the challenge of supporting parents who are in ill health, it can have um, a significant impact in delaying the tasks of young adulthood that your that your friends are going through. So pursuing, um, finishing up college or going to graduate school, it can cause you to delay dating because you're you're literally staying at home taking care of, of your parents or perhaps you feel you can't move out of the house, um, it, it can put off, when it puts off dating, it can put off having children. And ironically, you can have a second generation of folks who end up facing um, having kids in their later years even though they didn't want to because they've been set back a number of years in taking care of their of their own parents. So now they are pushed into older parenting um, in a situation they didn't want. And all these things are, are really difficult. And I don't think that when folks are older and they're considering having kids that they're really thinking about how does this impact your, your child when they're 20 and, and 30. And then when that child has a has their own kids, they're probably going to be having their kids without the influence of grandparents. So I, I think it has a tremendous domino effect. Let me get this. I want to get make sure we address this question. We received a thoughtful question um, from one of our listeners. She says, is there a different ethical decision involved in adopting at an older age if the child would not have had parents otherwise, for example, international adoption, or have been given life in the first place. Her example is embryo donation or adoption. Um, so, I, and, and it's a thoughtful question. Does does your uh, analysis of the ethics change uh, if we're talking about conceiving through donor egg, uh, or if we're talking about adopting, uh, particularly adopting internationally, which is one of your best options if you're an older parent, or uh, using a donated embryo, how would that influence any of the ethics that we're talking about? I don't know. I want to hear all of you speak on this, so I don't know who to begin with. Uh, Dr. Applegarth, let's start with you, and then uh, and then um, whoever else feels the urge, speak next. Um, well, Don, I I actually don't believe that the method that one becomes a parent is going to really make a significant difference in terms of some of these issues that we've just been talking about. Um, you will still be an older parent, and you will still have to deal as a child or as a parent with some of those issues that come along. And and I don't again, I don't think whether it's through adoption or embryo donation or through egg donation that that's really going to be the a, a critical factor in terms of how parent how you parent or how children expe- experience having older parents. Um, so that's that's my take on it. I agree uh, with that completely. I think I think it can be argued a lot of times. I hear folks say, you know, grandparents are often taking over the role of parenting for, um, you know, solving a dilemma. And I think that that's a great solution to a problem, but those children are still going to be experiencing the same problems we're talking about. 
But let me ask a question. If, you're, if your choice from a child's perspective is to be raised in, let me just pick a country, Russia, because they happen to be a country that doesn't have age limits, um, raised in a Russian orphanage or being adopted by older parents, doesn't that change the, the way, the ethics of how you at least think through? Dr. Zweifel? I, 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 I see your point, and I think you can definitely argue that, that there are worst-case scenarios for that child than to be raised by older parents. But the issues that we're talking about for the child in general are still going to be there. So even if you're really happy that you're not spending all of your days in a Russian orphanage, it does not take away the fact that you're going to have a lot of anxiety about the fact that your parents are likely going to die quite a lot sooner than your friend's parents. That doesn't matter how you came into the world. Okay. And, you know, we do actually have pretty – this is Dr. Applegarth again interjecting. We do have pretty substantial data that indicate that children who take care of um, aging, ill, or uh, parents or parents who die struggle themselves with depression, difficulties in school, sometimes problematic peer relationships, and also often in one area that I get concerned about is that they take on – a premature maturity, meaning that they're being asked to behave in ways that are really inappropriate to where they are developmentally as children. And I think those are all things that, that we have to think about, again, regardless of whether, you know, they're being adopted by older parents or, or older parents are giving birth to these children. Dr. Ecker, you were going to say something earlier. Do you have any thoughts on this? Well, I think that probably all of us agree that it's not just about having a baby or having a young child. It's about being a parent for a child throughout their lifespan or a good portion of their lifespan. And I don't know that any of us, I certainly don't, I won't speak for the other guests, I don't have any answers to exactly where the point is that someone should or shouldn't be a parent. But I certainly think it's important that everyone think about these questions in advance and imagine what their responses will be that we shouldn't that, that couples shouldn't go into this just to have a baby i'm mm -hmm. 50 and i want to have a baby it's i'm 50 do i want to be a parent and that's just not 50 and 51 mm -hmm. but for the rest of you know your lifespan mhm mm and and uh, and what does it mean to be a parent? Uh, Dr. Applegarth, you talked about developing resources. So if there are people who are listening who, and, and I anticipate that a lot of people who are listening to this show are going to be those who are wrestling with the decision of whether or not to go forward with a adoption or a pregnancy uh, in a latter age, whatever that age might be, what... What can you do in advance other than, you know, pick guardians, which heaven forbid us hope that we are, we are all doing that if we have children. What can you do in advance to mitigate some of the the negatives with having an older parent? Well, I think first and foremost, um, having a, a substantial support system is critical. And, again, I don't want to – I don't think we can – we can overlook the many single women now who at an older age are also choosing to become parents mm -hmm. uh, because the importance of a support system, both for couples as well as for single parents, 
I think is critical because the child, these children are going to need to have um, someone around them who will be there for them um, beyond their parents. Um, and then, of course, legal and financial uh, security needs to be established so that there are already things in place and that parents have really given thought to these issues and are not haphazard in their thinking. Um, and, and again, I just think putting these things into place, planning ways to protect children should the parents become ill or die um, are critical to good parenting at that stage. Good point. I will throw out that one interesting complication is often that these, uh, and I don't know the statistics on how often this happens, but we see it fairly often where the older parents uh, who are considering uh, either fertility treatment or adoption have already had children by either oftentimes a previous marriage. And so this, they already have older children, and some of this, the, the guardianship issues and who's going to take care of the younger children, um, it also impacts their older children because they would be oftentimes the more logical ones who would step forward. And so that's a, a further complicating issue. Uh, Dr. Swifel, I'm going to give you the, the, the last word here. We're, we're coming to the end. Um, any, any parting thoughts on what people should think about? I, I think actually Dr. Eckert did a great job of summarizing it from the parent's perspective. I would just add, try to think about what it means to be a child and what the experience is like when you're 5, when you're 15, when you're 20, when you're 25, and, and think about what they will be like for your child um, to be parented by an older parent. And, and honestly try to ask yourself, is that a good deal for the child? It may be a good deal for you. You know, many people find having a child to be rejuvenating, but is it a good deal for your child? On that note, let me say that thank you so much for being our guest. And for those of you who are looking for more resources, Creating a Family has extensive resources on helping you think through the issues of becoming an older parent, as well as including some resources for, uh, for support if you are already an older parent. And these resources can be found on our How Old is Too Old page, and that page is linked to under both of our adoption resources and our infertility resources. Thank you so much, Dr. Julianne Zweifel, Dr. Linda Applegarth, and Dr. Jeff Ecker for being our guest today on Creating a Family. For those in our audience who would like more information on Dr. Ecker and his practice, you can find it on the website massgeneral.org. To get more information about Dr. Zweifel, you can uh, contact her or get information on her at the, uh, her website or the website where she is found at uwhealth.org slash generations with an S. And Dr. Applegarth, uh, to get more information about her and her practice, this email will be, I mean, this uh, website is a very easy one to remember, and that is ivf.org. This show will be archived on the 2011 Big List at the radio page of creatingafamily.org, and it's also available for a download as a podcast from iTunes. The easiest way to find it on iTunes is to use the iTunes button on our radio page. To stay in touch with the latest developments in infertility and adoption and as and receive the upcoming week's blog and show topic, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter on any page on the left-hand side at creatingafamily.org. Next week's show, and yes, we will be having a show next week, uh, December 28th, uh, the, the topic will be what do we mean by special needs adoption and should you consider this option. Thanks for joining us today, and I will see you next week. <laughs>